0: And, you know, it seems like we're doing this every day, and we don't mean to pile on to Escobar, but Brett Beatty hit a grand slam tonight for Syracuse. And it seems like that's happening just about every day. Bounces away from Langleyers, but no chance for Vogelback to think about it, I'm throwing the flag, Gary. What can you do? You just just got to report it. Just reporting it. Exactly. You know... Fans are clamoring for Beatty to be called up and the Mets will do it when they're, you know, when they're inclined to. We're two weeks into the season, there's no reason to, you know, be making any kind of move other than the one that's right. One and one to Escobar. So you're saying that social media is not going to drive them to bring Beatty up before they want to? There was a time when that might have been the case. I don't think in the current incarnation of the Mets brain trust that that is going to happen.
2: Another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast here on this Sunday, April the 16th, 2023. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and you can show up Apple podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkinmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at You can follow me on Instagram, Talking Mets No G. And I want to welcome in the good folks from the Fan Sided Podcasting Network, as well as RisingApple.com. Welcome to another edition of the Talking Mets podcast. Got a lot to get into today. Of course, the headline is Brett Beatty will be part of the big league roster. Our long national nightmare, I'm kidding, is finally over. So Brett Beatty will be part of the roster in less than 24 hours. We're going to get into that. I'm going to get into some honest conversation with you guys because I think we need to have it. I'm going to talk about our role. When I say our role, not just you, not just social media, myself included, in how the Mets run their business. I think I teased it a little bit in the open, the clip from Friday night, which, by the way, was probably this is a non sequitur. I'm already starting with the non sequiturs, but probably was the worst game I've might have been the worst baseball game I've ever seen. A game the Mets won 17-6, to 6 and three hours and, what, 30 minutes or so. Not bad for a 17-6 to 6 game with 17 walks. Might have been the worst baseball game ever. But um, I teased it a little bit about what I'm going to talk about. Uh, an honest conversation. And then the second piece here with the Beatty promotion is really taking a hard look after 16 games where the Mets are. I know there's a lot of reason to be a little, I guess— cautiously optimistic or pessimistic however you want to put it they're 10 and 6 but the thing that I believe you feel is the problem with this Mets team I'm not quite sure is the same problem what you and I are both thinking about so we'll talk about that and then Kurt McKnight author the voices of baseball great book gets into historic events in each of the 30 ballparks catches up with a bunch of Famous broadcasters, Hall of Fame broadcasters. We're going to get into a conversation about his project. It's that time of the year when baseball books come out. And let's face it, we have a ton of fun and, you know, really get into the weeds and talk about some real interesting topics every year, especially as you get into the April, May part of the season. All the new baseball books come out. We get some great authors on it. It spurs some good conversation. So we'll get into that. And how are the new rules impacting one of the Two, I would say, enjoyments that we get from the sport. Ballparks and going to the ballpark. And then broadcasting. Two things that we talk about all the time. And fortunately for us, as individuals who root for the Mets, cover the Mets, grew up watching the Mets, both of those things. Maybe Shea wasn't the best place, but I've always felt that broadcasting in ballparks has been something that the Mets have always done well. Even when Shea wasn't the best ballpark, it was better than maybe some of the other uh, multi-purpose stadium, so and there was always a charm. So we'll get into that. Kurt McKnight, author, joining me in just a little bit. So let's start off with the honest conversation. And and I, I got some feedback last week that I came across a little preachy, and and I guess I could understand that, and that's fine. Look, I want honest feedback. If you guys listen to this show and you roll your eyes and you think you, I'm turning you off, I'm not going to get upset and mad. I take the feedback, I take it seriously, but I'm also honest about who I am and how I do the show. And basically, I am. Who I am. Was that Popeye? Am I quoting Popeye now? We're off to a roaring start. Non-sequiturs, Popeye, everything, you know? we kind of off to a roaring start. But one of the things that has really been bothering me for a while, uh, and even last year, if you remember, I told you guys a bunch of times that I felt in a 101-win season, the— actual fan base was pretty miserable and tough to take throughout most of the summer as the Braves were charging and coming and eventually taking over the division. A season where, yeah, it ended in disappointment and frustration, I would say more frustration uh, than disappointment, really should have been more enjoyable and at times I felt, and you know even Pete Alonso talked about this in spring training, that it seeped into the clubhouse, that maybe they didn't enjoy themselves as much as they should have going through a real fun season. So, I start to see already how the fan base very early in the season is taking every you know the game 7 mentality with every game. And one of the things in our society right now is it's the social media and the mob nature of fans or customers or political activists whatever you want to talk about how they try to get together and they try to bully organizations into doing what they want whether it's the right thing and rooted in common sense does it matter this is what the public wants and if we don't get what we want we're just going to make your life miserable and and try to put public pressure on you in order to move the needle to what we believe is the right thing and you heard Gary Cohen and Ron Darling in basically the second inning I took that clip and I thought it was a beautiful clip and at that point, we didn't know that Brett Beatty was going to get called up. But I felt, and I told you guys, by about May 1st would be the first marker whether Beatty was on the way up. And look, the things that we thought might happen, Escobar going into the tank. Look, not, I don't want to say he's Cano, but there are some signs, not as bad as Cano was last year. There are some signs that Escobar's on the way out that he may be done as bad as slow. Uh, Not like Cano. Cano had some obvious signs, but it's something to look for. And with Beatty and some of the other prospects on the offensive side tearing up AAA, I mean, it's easy. It's easy for the fans to get excited. Everybody looks at stats and clips of home runs, and they think they're a scout. Let's face it. I'm not a scout. You're not a scout. There is so much more to evaluating a player's uh, abilities at the next level. Uh, Most of us are not qualified to make that decision uh, or even assess it on any kind of real level. This is this is the candy store of the candy store. We're having fun talking sports. And we try to be serious. We try to be professional. But I think the advent of analytics and how the bleeding of fan, independent media, media podcast into working in front offices has gotten a little blurry, let's face it, since the uh, the Moneyball book came out, oh, about 20 years ago. And I felt as I've watched... Social media specifically, and I don't even listen to talk radio, so I can only imagine. But you've got the, the typical talk radio heads going out there acting like, you know, I could influence decisions in this town. When that, Those days are long over. Talk radio has its place. It's put itself into a, a sphere where it's actually almost like a step it, – it's, a, it's, a, it's almost a step slightly above people calling into a talk show. I mean there's really a very thin line between the host and the caller, and that's scary because the host should be the subject matter expert, you know the conversation for another day. So as I watch, you know, whether it be on SNY or Twitter, you know, SNY.TV I should say, people who are content creators because I don't consider myself a content creator. I consider myself someone who does a really cool show entertains you, gives you mental bubble gum. And I always pride myself on giving you things to think about, whether you agree agree or disagree. I don't have the power to move the needle. You don't have the power to move the needle. You have the power to make lives miserable and to make this place a tough place to play. And believe me, we've all done that. And I don't think it's always justified. And it makes this task of winning a championship here that much harder. But let me be really straight. You want to go irrationally and demand that Mauricio and Beatty and Vientos or anybody else that's on that Syracuse roster gets brought up, but if you think by railing on it and harping on it and complaining about it and and in demanding that Epler gets fired is going to make a darn difference, then you're delusional. Because and Gary points it out in that clip that I played coming in. Maybe under the prior ownership, they had serious rabbit ears to what the, especially the media had to say, and maybe because the owner was a fan in the most impulsive bad way. Now the current owner is a fan, but he's also understands the business part. And he's talked about that, how he'll watch the game, but he also has to take the long view. You know, he's as a knee jerk and and we'll see if he stays true to that as anybody else. Uh, This is an organization with a general manager who has, and we've talked about this a number of times, um, that there needs to be, I mean, everything that Billy Epler uh, Prides himself on is about probabilistic outcomes, and he talks about that. And in his mind, rushing Beatty or whatever the markers were that he felt that he needed to achieve, and clearly, he's done that on the defensive side and the offensive side. We could we could see the numbers on the on the offensive side. Defensively, we saw some improvements late in spring training. Uh, he wasn't going to sacrifice any of that. For what really would be incremental? What are they going to be eleven and five instead of ten and six? You know, maybe a game or two, and and you don't even know if that's the case. And I don't know if Beatty could be attributed to just that alone bringing him up. And he's also got to stay true to the human aspect, which is a popular player, a leader in the clubhouse, a guy who has a long resume of hitting, a guy who down the stretch in September kind of helped carry the offense when Starling Marte was out. You just want to throw him off the island. And let's face it, we don't even know who's going to get thrown off the island here for Beatty. We know that he's going to be brought up. We know a roster move going to be made. I'm sure the Mets didn't want that to get out. And it did. Martino got it. He seems to always get the news, the breaking news. He's always got these sources in there. That's the one guy I keep telling everybody, take seriously. He always seems to know what the Mets are doing. And it's been harder since Epler took over because the leaks have been less. So, you know. We don't know who they're going to throw off the island. Maybe it's LeCastro. Maybe it's a pitcher. I don't think it's going to be Escobar because, let's face it, the kid's going to need a blow. He's lefty. Who knows? I think Guillorme has options. Maybe Guillorme gets sent down. It's possible. We don't know. So what I really am trying to say here is that social media doesn't run the Mets. And – you and I really are not qualified to know more or believe that we know more than Billy Epler. We could have an opinion about it. We could talk about it on this show. We could get mad about it. But we've really blurred the line, and there is a point where, and I think this is more because it's happening in society, in the real world, which is scary, that that's where this has influence, that a baseball team is basically telling the you know the customer, the fan base, say, hey, I'll run this. You go root. I appreciate your patronage, but let us handle the heavy lifting on the roster, because in the real world, you could bully a company into making a decision just by some Twitter outrage by a very loud minority. And even in baseball and in the Mets, the Twitterverse and the, and the even the, the WFA and caller, they're the very small minority of people, small percentage of people calling to talk radio, uh, not the majority of societies on Twitter, even though Elon Musk owns it and we act like he's like all of a sudden grabbed all these people in here. I think if you did a poll out of 10 people, I think you know maybe three or four are actually actively on Twitter. Now, it depends on the age group, but you know what I'm saying. That's unscientific. So the honest conversation here is that sit back, you could root for the kids to come up because you want homegrown talent, but understand that no ranting and raving and no mob mentality is going to change the timeline that the Mets have or the belief that they have that a player is an asset to the 2023 Mets or ever be an asset to the Mets in general. So I really appreciated what Ron and Gary said on Friday. They were all a little smug about it, and maybe they were preachy, just like maybe I'm being preachy again to, to take that feedback from last week's show. But I think it's important to have, and maybe some of you are in my camp and agree with me, but a really cold, hard hit in the face about our role when it comes to this team. We are not in the inner circle. We are not driving – any kind of movement with this organization. The fan base is not going to run the show here. The owner may listen to them, and, and, and clearly he's probably meeting with his staff and saying, what do you think? But he's even said it himself. If you have me making the baseball moves, you got a problem. Because he's a fan, he's emotional. You saw that with the Correa situation. And then once he got dialed into the business part of it, look what happened. It didn't happen. So that's that's one. That's one thing, I think. And I wanted to start there, and that's maybe a negative way to start, because let's face it, it was a great win, even though they. I know you're not happy how things went in Oakland. A couple of one-run wins against a team with really bad pitching. But let's also remember, the law of averages was going to eventually come into play here. And the law of averages was going to say, hey, um, the A's can't pitch to an ERA of 10 in the starting pitching. They're eventually going to have some sort of, um, uh, you know, regression or, or progression to the mean at that point. The second thing is, I really laugh that the offense is what you're all worried about. Now, Beatty is clearly going to help the offense. He's going to come in, uh, it, and I don't expect him to have a 1,000 OPS, but if he could be anywhere near the player that you know, I've heard he could be, he's improved enough where he's adequate defensively. If you're a Stratomatic fan, even if even if he's a 3 or 4 on defense, he makes the routine plays. And that's what you want. You're not expecting a gold glove there. You know, you want him to be, you know, solid at third where the plays that should be made are made. And his bat can produce maybe what you were expecting Escobar to produce, which maybe he can't anymore. You know, the 106, 107, 108 OPS+. plus hits righties really well maybe you have to sit him a couple of times that's where escobar if he's still on the roster which I expect him to be could spell him against lefties maybe that takes a little pressure and maybe this takes pressure off Escobar. Maybe this maybe this whole thing takes pressure off Escobar. Where now look you know, the cat's out of the bag. Beatty's been brought up the fans got who they wanted the pressure is off of him because he's got his money he's his role is his role You know, we're all happy about the Knicks if you're a basketball fan in this town because they had a great Game 1 victory over the Cavs. But look at what the Knicks did a month into their season. They benched Fournier, big money, uh, starting shooting guard. They benched Derrick Rose, guy that arguably could be a Hall of Famer for some of the uh, results he's had on the court over his career of about 15, 16 years. And they brought in kids that were on the bench and inserted them into the rotation. And look where the Knicks are now. Knicks have a chance to get into the second round of the playoffs and maybe make some noise and and make some top-tier teams uncomfortable. I know it's basketball. It's not apples to apples, but the Mets can do the same thing. And they don't have to – the Knicks didn't do it after five games, three games, four games. They needed to see a sample size. And with Escobar, they've seen a sample size. Is Vientos next? Uh, Is is Vogel back on the clock now? You know, Fam has made it really hard to want to bring anybody up to be that righty DH compliment because Fam is hitting the bar – All the metrics are, not only is he hitting, he's hitting the ball hard against lefties. He's giving you exactly what you wanted from Darren Ruff. And, you know, the kick in the you-know-what is that J.D. Davis, who I always loved, is out there in San Francisco hitting. So you can't—that's the guy you really could have played every day at D.H., you know? So, but your real concern—and I'm going off on tangents here, but that's what this show's about. We're having fun. Your real concern's the offense— Mets are still averaging 4.7 runs per game, a tick below last year, above league average, not much above league average. I mean, geez, the Rays are averaging seven runs a game. I mean, I'm looking at some of these runs per game, and you got the Rays at seven, the Orioles nearly at six, the Red Sox over five. We're back to 1999 and steroids baseball. The Braves are over five. Again, small sample size. But new rules clearly having an impact there, opening things up. Maybe some bad pitching as well, some bad teams. There's still some really bad teams here in, in the league. But the real thing that should worry you when it comes to the Mets is that their pitching is really not that good right now. Now, they're only giving up four runs per game. So they're, you know, from runs per game, they're in the top 10. But here's the thing that I believe uh, really should worry you a little bit. Mets are slightly above league average on ERA plus uh, in the pitching staff, slightly, The real thing that I believe, there's actually two things. John Harper brought this up over at SY, and I'm going to bring up the other thing. First of all, the Mets, and we're talking about the entire league, all 30 teams, not just the National League. They are sixth highest, one, two, three, four, five, sixth highest in walks in in all of baseball. All of baseball, they're sixth highest in walks. Want to know how ugly it gets? Let's look at the walks per nine innings coming out of this staff. The bullpen. Uh... Dennis Santana, he's he's no longer part of the team, nearly six walks per nine. Drew Smith, seven walks per nine. Adovino, four and a half walks per nine. A guy that actually worked on this last year, and it seemed to regress a little bit. Now, uh, Rayleigh, 1.7, he's good. Curtis, 2.5, but he wasn't good today. Uh, Nagosic before he got hurt, 4.3. Tommy Hunter, before he got hurt, 4.5. Uh, Max Scherzer is actually nearly four walks per nine. McGill, nearly four walks per nine. Kodai Singa, almost six walks per nine. Peterson, five walks per nine. Carrasco, five walks per nine. So it's really, I mean, the the bullpen's not great, uh, of course, but the starting pitching, which is going about five innings, is walking a batter per inning on average. Because, you know, five walks per nine, they're, you know, going about five innings, maybe not quite, maybe a little less than a batter per nine innings, uh, per five innings. And, um, you know, that's that's not good. And that's not sustainable. And as you start to play better teams, look, you're able to navigate at City Field. Beautiful weather. So, you know, but City Field stifles a lot of offense in April and May and June. And and in general, City Field stifles a lot of offense in general. So even though it was the Padres and they easily could have lost all three games with the kind of walks that were making their way around the diamond against San Diego, including Scherzer. Um, they didn't, but that doesn't mean the process and the outcome should that, you know, the process, the outcome don't always marry up. And I'm not saying it's dumb luck here that the Mets won, but there is a serious issue with the walks with this pitching staff that eventually they're not going to be in the top 10 in runs per game that they give up. They're going to be in the bottom third of the league in that. Now, I don't think all of this will continue. Uh, You know, I don't think if, you know, I'm assuming Scherzer is just getting load management here. I don't think Scherzer is going to continue to walk four per nine. I think Scherzer is figuring things out. I think a lot of what you see with the Mets during this phase where trying to figure out the getting to know you 2023 Mets is they've almost gone into April with extended spring training. Exactly what Buck talked a little bit about, hasn't talked about it here. What I talked about back when pitchers and catchers came in was that with them scattered all about with a disjointed spring training, this was almost more of a of a difficult challenge for this club than the two week, uh, you know, sprint that they had to opening day during the lockout last year. It's almost like extended spring training. Now I think it helps having the ability to not play well, win ball games is a good sign. Yes, it's against maybe one of the worst teams we've seen in a long time, but first come from behind victory. Pete Alonso taking his game to the next level. You know, you're all worried about the offense. I'm worried about the pitching. And I could see the pitching sustaining these kind of numbers. You know, you think Seng is going to be any better with the walks? We talked about that. You know, McGill and Peterson, that's their M.O. Carrasco, I told you, I, I wasn't crazy about him, especially against good teams. Before the season started, we ran through the numbers. I mean, the guy you expected who walked a ton of uh, batters, especially when he went over to Philadelphia, Robertson hasn't walked anybody yet. He's done your, his best a little bit more contact, albeit a little bit more contact. He's done his best Edwin Diaz impression uh, that you could have asked. Imagine if he was your setup man with Diaz, what a dynamic back end of the bullpen you would have. Um. So, you know, I, I, the offense to me, I don't expect Jeff McNeil to have an 81 OPS plus. I don't expect Thomas Nito to hit 107 the entire year. Uh, you know, Marte and, and Nimo are kind of, getting into their own, you're not going to have a guy hitting 114 at third base. I mean, you can't imagine Beatty doing any worse than Escobar. Uh, Canna, a big part of last year's offense, well below his career norms. Vogel back and what he could do against right-handed pitching. and in, you know, A little unlucky with the lined out. He could have really cleaned up with the bases loaded today. 79 OPS plus. So there's still room for improvement on offense. And you already saw they're pretty much averaging what you expected at 4.7 runs per game, which is fine, but not fine if you're going to walk the amount of batters that they've walked because that negates what they were built on. Strong starting pitching, a strong bullpen, and an elite closer. You want to take away the elite closer and say it's a very good closer with Robertson? Yes. You can't. Win with this type of offense, a contact-driven offense, really good defense. They're not going to sacrifice defense for offense. A good balance between offense and defense on the positional side, you can't win with that if your pitchers are walking the ballpark. That's what should be bothering you, and nobody's talking about it. John Hopper touched on it a little bit, but what he touched on was in context of the starters not going deep. That is an epidemic across the entire rotation, with the exception of Robertson. Okay, Curtis gave up the lead in the eighth inning. What did it start with? A walk. Yakobonus got into trouble. Nimmo bailed him out. What did it start off with? A walk. Walks will kill. Walks will kill. It's like having you know physical issues, you know uh, heart issues, and stuffing yourself with bad food. You're exacerbating a problem. Not to take lightly anyone's health issues. I'm just giving you an analogy here. So. Keep complaining and thinking that, you know, it's the offense. Celebrate that Beatty's here, and you think he's a savior. He's not going to be. He's going to help. Nobody could be a savior on the offensive side or the defensive side if the walks continue because there's no offense that overcomes a uh, high-level of walks. There's no defense that could stop a walk, and you can't dance around runners on base. You could do it in Oakland against a lineup that is pesky but not very good. You can't do it against Atlanta. Once the Phillies figure things out, you're not going to do it when Harper gets back in that lineup. Shoot, you might not even be able to do it against Miami. What, you know, San Diego, you think when you go out in the West Coast and you go into their ballpark, especially in the summer, you don't think the ball's going to go flying with Soto and Machado and Bogarts and so on and so forth? You know? So I don't want to be negative because, look, the Mets are in a pretty good place after 16 games, considering that they haven't really even come close to making you feel like... They're playing playoff baseball, not forget championship baseball, playoff level baseball. Do I think this team smells and looks to me like a team that over the long haul could compete with the Braves? No, I don't think they could win a division. I don't see that, but it's only 16 games in. I see a team that can make the playoffs and I see a team that's going to have to figure some things out. And probably during that early season, figuring things out, they're going to lose their opportunity to win this division. They look more like a wild card team to me. They don't look as strong as the 2022 Mets. And I just laid it out to, to you. You know They didn't have DeGrom for most of the season. okay, And they didn't have Scherzer for most of the season. But they weren't putting runners on base to the level that they've done now with guys like Walker, Carrasco, Bassett. You know, when Trevor Williams subbed in. Even Peterson and McGill were a little bit better on that front last year. So th- is this correctable? Is this who they are? We'll see. Because if it is, then this is not going in a good direction. The amount of walks this staff has given up is a problem. Period. End of story. And that's the story. The walks are the problem. And the walks will derail the pitching. And that kind of pitching cannot be saved with the kind of offense that's built here. Even if they were the Colorado Rockies of 1999 and 1998, you're not going to win. You can't win with that kind of pitching. You can't make the playoffs with that kind of pitching. You'll be mediocre at best. So enjoy it now. Enjoy the Beatty situation. But realize the real issue is not going to be solved by Brett Beatty walking through that door in L.A. tomorrow. That's only going to be solved by these guys performing better. And maybe these are over over indexed in a bad way numbers that are going to swing to the to the other side. Let's hope. Just like Oakland starting pitching did a little bit the last couple of days. But something's got to give. So. All right, let's take a quick break. Kurt McKnight, author, The Voices of Baseball, Voices of the Game, not Voices of Baseball, Voices of the Game should be what I say. You know, here it is, the guy comes on the show. and get his book wrong. Um, Kurt McKnight, the uh, Voices of Baseball. I'm sorry, the Voices of Baseball is the book. Get that gotta get that right. Anyway, Kurt McKnight, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, Kurt McKnight's gonna join us. We're gonna get into some of the conversation about baseball broadcasting in ballparks, baseball and ballparks, broadcasting, all that stuff, some of the favorite topics I got there. Little clunky way to exit. Got myself a little bit riled up here about the walks. That's what happens when you walk a lot of batters, even the Talking Mets podcast gets off track. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be back with more right after this. and enjoy the rest of the show. We're back and joining me, Kurt McKnight, author, author of a great book, The Voices of Baseball, the game's greatest broadcasters reflect on America's pastime. And, and Kurt, welcome to the program. You are hitting on two of my favorite topics and two of the topics that no matter what time of the year baseball fans can discuss broadcasters and ballparks. It doesn't get better than that. And that's why baseball is a great game. I know you've done uh, books on hockey. Uh, you believe Dale Murphy should be in the hall of fame. So you're a great hall of fame guest. Uh, I mean, I know we've spoken before in the past, uh, but we'll put the hall of fame and we'll put the NHL to the side, despite the fact it's playoff time, ballparks, broadcasters, the voices of baseball and a tribute to Vince Scully can't get better than that. Welcome to the program. And how are you?
3: I'm, I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
2: So what made you do this, the Voices of Baseball? What made you get into, you know, it's interesting. You, you have great broadcasters, so much Met connections in there. I mean, from all the different teams. Mm-hmm. And obviously ballparks and the 30 ballparks. Talk a little bit about how you wove all that stuff together.
3: Well, baseball now is the only sport that there is no just absolute uniformity. You know, no ballpark is the same as the next all down the line. You know, back uh, back when we were having these multi-use ballparks, the cookie cutters, if you will, you would have four different ballparks, three at the very least that are exactly the same. You know, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia <clears throat> and Cincinnati were all the exact same ballparks, same dimensions. Like you could basically just uh, film a movie <laughs> and pretend you were having a pirate story, but you really were um, filming it in Philadelphia, or Cincinnati. That's just how it was, you know, unless you went outside and saw everything around, you were feeling like you were in the same ballpark. So, you know, I, I feel like baseball is, is one of those things where people really go there for the structures. You know, you go to a basketball game, once you go inside the, the arena, it's all the same, you know, once you go into a football Stadium, unless you know you're talking about sophie stadium out there in la and some of these other ones a lot of times for the longest time you'd be doing the same thing but with a ballpark you have this unique structure you have all these different things that make one city different than the next and it's not just this architecture it's the altitude uh it's uh things like the marine layer you know the the um the weather takes, takes effect. So different things, the ball plays different ways. And so you want to talk about those kinds of things, but you want to do it in a way that makes people interested. And me talking about all this stuff, obviously the last minute and a half is not interesting, Mm -hmm. but you get somebody like Vin Scully, Dick Enberg, uh, John Miller. I mean, I'll drop names all day for the Mets. You get Howie Rose. These guys are so smart and they're so versed in what they do. So they are able to basically not only give a description of it, all of it, but walk you through it in the same way. You know, we all can be layman's when it comes to these kinds of things, but these guys have a way of, of basically conceptualizing it in a way that we can understand.
2: Do you have a favorite story, a favorite ballpark? And uh, you could be honest, does it have to be the Mets one with Howie Rose and, and Wayne Hagan and Johan Santana's no hitter? Uh, that was a great night, but may not, you know, it was in the middle of a season that things weren't expected. The ballpark wasn't full; it wasn't a playoff game, uh, and that's more local, and that's about baseball, you know, things that local that are a big deal or maybe not a big deal across the sport. Um, going through this, going through each team's history, speaking to a number of broadcasters, hitting on all these ballparks, was there one that stood out to you more than another? Well, I mean, I know that's hard because you got so many great stories in this book. It
3: it really is hard. But, you know, it, it is it's easy to just fall back on somebody like Vince Scully calling you in the middle of the afternoon and saying, Hi, I'm Vin Scully. I broadcast Dodgers baseball, like as if I didn't know who it was when he said hello. (laughs) I mean, that's one story right there. That's surreal.
2: That's surreal.
3: That's surreal. The guy says, hello. I see, I see my car ID, Los Angeles, California. There's 9 million people or whatever in Los Angeles. He says, hello, I know exactly who it is. And so that's one story. Um, An actual interview that really, kind of shot me through the gates was one of my first interviews. And it was with my, the first hall of famer I interviewed for the book. And that's Eric Nadel. And we did the interview during spring training in the ballpark for the Rangers out in surprise, Arizona. We were, you know, he wasn't actually in the booth. He was, he had the day off that day. So we're sitting there and there's Ranger fans below us and in the, in the row below us. And they are just, I have no idea what's going on that I feel like, Oh, we are just talking too loud. These people are getting really bugged. They're trying to watch this game. Well, we do the interview. We're talking baseball for 30 minutes, 35 minutes. He gets up, he walks off. This couple immediately gets up, and comes up to me, and I'm sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> did we just ruin your game? I don't have a way of refunding your tickets. <laughs> They're like, we really loved your interview. We're Ranger fans, and we immediately recognize Mr. Nadell. When does your book come out? So to me, the, that carried so much momentum going in. I thought, wow, this is exactly what I'm trying to encapsulate with this book. The fact that this is an identifiable voice. This is somebody that these guys tune into every day. This is an insight these guys want to get. And so that really catapulted not only the way that I approached the book, but also that I was thinking, these guys go way back, too. I don't have to just talk about ballparks of today. We could talk about ballparks of yesterday. And that's another chapter of the book is talking about 10 or 11 of the ballparks of yesterday and the broadcaster's memories there.
2: That's really interesting because, and by the way, we have Kurt McKnight. You can check out Kurt on Twitter at the Voices of MLB. Um, The book is the Voices of Baseball. When you bring up the intimacy of the announcing team, and again, I've covered the sport in general I've covered New York baseball but I'm doing Mets now and I have been since 2016 Mets are one of the perfect examples I mean the Gary Keith and Ron 18 years running together uh, actually a record with a trio uh you know for the Mets it's almost like they're part of your family you know you can't wait to hear about Keith Hernandez's stories about his cat Haji or his complaints about driving from Sag Harbor to the ballpark you know, uh, Ron's, uh, you know, thoughtfulness, Gary Cohen's excitement. I mean, even now, thanks to the technology and Twitter and Dunkin' Donuts sponsoring it, they'll show you a snapshot of the booth and their reactions of a big play. So you could see Gary throw the pen or Keith and Ron look at each other like I told you so. Um, they become part of your family. I'm ruined. You know why I'm ruined? Vince Scully's like, as a young Mets fan, 86 World Series and all those big postseason games in the 80s, Vince Scully's voice. Even Joe Garagiola, uh, yeah. Al Michaels. I mean, these are great announcers. Uh, I had Bob Murphy growing up. Gary Cohen takes over. Um, Tim McCarver, Steve Sabritsky, Gary Thorne, uh, you know, Ralph Kiner. Uh, it, it, to me, it these are uh, people that I don't know. You didn't know Vince Scully, but they're part of your family. And you just explained the connection there with Vince Scully calling you. Um, baseball I, I love the NBA and I know you wrote about the NHL and we could talk about Clyde Frazier and John Davidson with the Rangers again I'm doing a New York perspective on this um, but nothing is like baseball announcers I'm, I'm biased but I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on that
3: no you're right nothing is like them because baseball well this is a different season coming into it like the 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 announcers the broadcasters are having to readjust sure. they've got- to be you know and i think they like it they like the pace of the game going the way it is and now they're having to be- readjust back to the way it used to be you know there's there's things that uh that they have you know in, embedded into their dna over years that were kind of plucked out with the game slowing down so much and now we are getting back into that you know i was in a broadcast uh during spring training and they brought they basically planned to have me on for a half inning it was like a six pitch half inning and mm-hmm. and, and I can't. You couldn't even get a it. foul
2: ball, Kirk. I mean, here's your big moment
3: in the sun. You can't even get a foul ball. Exactly. And so, yeah, I couldn't get a foul ball. The funny thing was, the Padres. I was in the Padres broadcast, and the the inning before they scored five runs, and I said, "Golly, you guys! I could have read the book in that inning, <laughs> you know." And and. And that is okay. That is okay because these guys are pros and they know how to adapt and to adjust. And so they're going to be able to do these kinds of things. It is going to basically put them back on the front of their feet and on the back. Uh, but that's all right. You know, a lot of these guys, uh, these newcomers, who knows, but you know, when you have the guys who have been there 40 or 50 years, you know, Eric Nadell even told me, he's like, I- I- I'm interested to see what happens going into this season with this pitch clock. You know, I talked to him over, uh, over the off season for the, to, for the updated edition with the Rangers. So you can tell that this is a big part of their, of their way of doing things. And so when you have this change back to it, you know, you are going to see these broadcasters adapt to it. And, you know, these, these promos, these sponsors, they're going to have to wait until the middle of the inning, because it's just going so fast. If you want somebody to talk like the FedEx guy from the eighties, blah, 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 micro <laughs> machines, whatever.
2: Right. You know, right
3: you're not going to get your promo in, but that's going to be how it has to be until the end of the inning right now, because the game has just sped back up.
2: Yeah. And and I was even thinking about this, because that was something I was going to talk to you about, about the adjustment uh, and the easy breezy conversational nature of baseball that may be taken away. As we get deeper into the month of April, I feel like the new rules, which were such a big topic have fallen into the background. The game is faster but it's still two and a half hours. I mean, yeah, you have your 220s. You know, the, the Yankees lost 11-2 in two hours and 20 minutes. That's just eliminating the unnecessary drudgery that, uh, you know, everybody's just trying to, like, sloth through a blowout. You still got two hours and a half, two hours and 40 minutes, about the time that, you know, uh, you and I are pretty much contemporaries age-wise. I'm in my, my mid-40s, that you would watch a game maybe up until the year 2000. And I don't remember it being too fast. I don't remember storytelling not being a part of that. So I don't think that that's being taken away. And I don't think the new rules have taken away because they're professionals because they've adjusted. I don't feel like it's taken so much away. Now, your six-pitch inning, yeah, that's going to happen. But that happened in the past. And maybe that six-pitch inning wasn't three and a half minutes. Maybe it was 10 minutes because of fiddling with the gloves and everything. But um, I, I, don't, I, I don't think it's hurting the game. And, and I'm not here to talk about the new rules, but I'll talk about it in context of your project and broadcasting. Uh, and, and it's something I've talked about on today's show as well. People are starting to complain about, well, now you're ruining my ballpark experience. Well, you can't have two experiences. You can't have the, the quick game, great broadcasting, and a beer line that you don't miss anything. You can't have it all. So I, I don't see it as impacting, long-winded conversation here. I don't see as impacting where going forward uh, you can't have what we've experienced in baseball booths because of the the new rules. I am concerned about the next wave of announcers. That's another story, but I'll let you take the first one.
3: No, I think that's, I think that is, I think I would be concerned about the next wave of announcers because these guys go to school for this kind of stuff. You know, they go to school for these kinds of cues and things like that, but, but yeah, you just touched on something as far as the concourses and beer lines and stuff like that. You know, you see on these, Twitter pages or or Facebook pages these people are like uh, I am getting my food and my beer and in my seat by first pitch because you know a, a 20 minute line will take me out of a and a full inning and a half sometimes so you know it it really does have a ripple effect um and yes I feel like it's great for the game because retention is is what it's all about in this, in this society, you know, people are just too overstimulated within five seconds of tuning into something. And if they're not, they're tuning out. And so, uh, yeah, I think it's great for the game and yes, they will get their stories. And that's what I'm trying to say is that they are, they are very fine tuned and they're very disciplined in their craft. And that's something that they go to school to learn to do. Now you, you can't, you know, you can't go to the school of, Harry Carey, great figure, great, great personality, but goodness, the guy just wandered so much. And that's one of the things, but that's what we loved about him. And that's what we love about certain broadcasters is the way they carry about the game. Because sometimes you're just lost. You're just lost of what's going on if you're tuning into the radio. Luckily, Harry was on TV a lot of times, so people are like, "Well, I see what's happening." He's talking about Cracker Jacks, but I can see that there's a runner on base. I can see that so and so's right. on, you know, on deck, and so and so's at the plate. Luckily, you know, because sometimes that's what happens. You go down this rabbit hole, and and uh, I. Uh, I personally think that these guys are going to be able to excel if they know how to toe the line and know how to do it, these guys that are coming
1: up.
2: Yeah, and now with score bugs and base running bugs, mm-hmm. Harry Carey would be even more popular because you're probably screaming at the, the TV back then, like, hey, Harry, man, what? how many strikes, how many balls, how many outs, things like that. You know, yeah. the, the, the thing, and I guess this is more of a Mets thing because you talk to, in this book, McCarver, Gary Thorne, uh, Howie Rose. Uh what scares me a lot, it's interesting, is that look, Gary Keith and Ron are getting older. They're not going to do this forever. At least all three of them. Uh Howie Rose is getting older. He's not going to do this forever. Bob Murphy, long gone, uh, you know, preceded them. Ralph Kiner, Long Gone, preceded them, Lindsay Nelson. You know, I could go on. Since 1962, the Mets only have two championships. Um, but they've had a ton of success in the broadcast booth. I don't know if you can hold up that bar for the next 60 years. That's a 60 years old, 60 years from now. I won't be here. Maybe you, I won't be well, if I'm here in 60 years at a hundred talking to you, the show's going to be a lot different, right? So what will the broadcasting look like now? They put Keith Rad in the, in the booth and Pat McCarthy, good Keith. I know when he was in Brooklyn and I've spoken to him as a Brooklyn Cyclones announcer, you know, you know, Brooklyn in the area has that New York feel. Pat McCarthy has, you know, being, you know, from Tom's uh, broadcasting tree has the, 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 the chops, you know, so to speak, you know, that's in you, but with, you know, all these conglomerates taking over, it can't just be about the schooling. It can't just be about the mechanics. There has to be a connection. I'm not saying you have to be a Homer. There has to be personality. And I worry And you would be the best guy to ask this because you spoke to so many of these guys. It doesn't mean you have to be Keith Rad, who's not a ball player or Keith Hernandez, who was a ball player. It's about the connection and about how you connected to this fan base. And it doesn't mean you have to be a Mets ball player or a Yankees, if you were doing the Yankees, but you have to have a connection to that. You know, Ken Singleton, it was a Yankees broadcaster. He didn't play for the Yankees, but he became Jim Cott did not play for the Yankees, became synonymous with Yankee baseball. You can do that. Uh, And Bill White, another example, um, so I worry, you know, a little bit about broadcasting going forward because you don't necessarily have people in the business side that get what you and I are talking about here.
3: But you also are in a, such a huge market. That's another thing. New York, to me, it's it's like, I mean, I'm, I'm going to quote Sterling quoting Vince Scully because, you know, he says, you know, Sterling was talking to Scully about, you know, being out in Los Angeles, you know, and it's, he's, like, he's like, yeah, you got the Mets and the Yankees. That's what this, you know. Scully says to to Sterling, you guys have the Mets and the Yankees out here. The angels might as well be in Kansas city. Like he's basically saying it's just us out here, you know, but in the New York market, it's uh, it's so, it's so huge and, and it's great, you know, but um, when you go to the smaller markets, it's like Kansas city, for example. Wow. I mean, they just love them, you know, to death and, and I feel like, you know, in, in New York, I, I have nothing against New York. I think New, I love New York baseball, the, the Yankees and Mets. I love basically the fact that they're both contenders year in and year out now. I feel like it's good for baseball. It's good for marketability. It's good for viewership. And I know that it's I know that a lot of people taking on that role and taking on that mantle on these big market things that they, you know, then they realize going in that they're like, they're stepping into the deep end right now. And so, and they're, they can be under a microscope a lot of the times because sometimes fans can just be unforgiving. Hockey fans are ridiculous. I love hockey. Hockey fans will put you under a microscope. It's so crazy. They will just totally tear apart. Just the slightest thing that you say that they don't feel is, is completely in line. And so, you know, sometimes when you have that going in, you know, it it really kind of gives a little trepidation and things like that. But, uh, you know the, the the mets the the bottom line is the mets get this uh for you know this this year for example when Familia got hurt during the wbc i don't know if you saw this there's just this uh youtube video or whatever this guy is just dropping f-bombs left and right after mm. you know it's a met fan i know you i know see. who he
2: is frank the tank yeah, yeah so, we know frank
3: <laughs> <laughs> and so you have things like that and those things go viral you know sure. and so and and a great story, for example, Wayne Hagan talking about uh, this was in the uh, original edition talking about Shea. The last game at Shea, he says, I don't know what was worse, the language of these kids on the subway ride home or the language of their parents after this Mets loss. Because he said it was the worst and foulest language he'd ever heard in his life on that subway ride home because, you know, they had the chance to actually possibly make the postseason that last game and they didn't. You know, it was the last game ever at City, and it was just such a bad way to end—or not last game at City, last game at Shea—and it was just such a bad way to close the book on on Shea Stadium. And and I and I think that New York gets the bad reputation of having those kinds of stories, but they also have great fans who are diehard and loyal. So as a broadcaster, you can also say, I can't ask for better fans because they know who I am and they and they know all about me. You explaining all these things about. Uh, The three in the Mets booth. I love Ron Darling because he sounds like James Woods. I feel like (laughs) I'm listening to James Woods call a baseball game and it's awesome. (laughs) And Ron Darling is very smart and he's very fun to listen to. I listen to him a lot on the TBS broadcast when they do playoff baseball. So, you know, I identify with him in that way. Gary Thorne was always a great voice for the Mets and but I know Gary for his hockey and I know Gary for Baltimore you know I didn't you know when back when Gary broadcast for the Mets it wasn't as readily available across the country as things are right. now that's one right. thing that 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 a lot of people need to understand is that you know back here in the west we had Scully in the in the Dodgers that's what we had because there was no internet there was no uh MLB network there was none of that and so You guys have your own markets and you guys have your own little bubble and and community in each baseball town.
2: Yeah. And, you know, going back to hearing you talk about Vin Scully calling you, it reminds me of when I interviewed many, many years ago, I'm going back 15, 16 years when Er Ernie Harwell and I spoke, when Ernie Harwell had a compilation. And as I'm talking to him, and this is early in my doing, you know, I didn't go to school for this. I kind of took my business learnings and got into this thing and got kind of lucky. I'm talking to Ernie Harwell, who I didn't listen to growing up as a Mets fan. And all I know is here's a guy that started broadcasting when Ty Cobb was around <laughs> and Babe Ruth was around, spoke to those players. And the enormity of it overwhelmed me a little bit because I'm like, I'm talking to somebody who talked to Ty, Ty Cobb. Ty Cobb, who is not Ty Cobb in the, in the, uh, the movie, not <laughs> a Ty Cobb that's on a baseball card that's, you know, basically a cartoon drawing. Uh, or not the Ty Cobb that we've heard about. That's basically a fiction character because you haven't experienced them. The Ty Cobb. And you I got to think Vin Scully calling you the, hum, the humility of him announcing himself as if you would not know, like he would be calling someone. hi, Vin Scully, Los Angeles Dodgers announced as if you, like you said, you didn't know. They don't, they broke the mold with that one. You know, I have to say now that he's passed and I was not a Dodgers fan, of course, and didn't listen to him on Dodgers broadcast, but he was the voice of national playoff baseball for me growing up. Not Joe Buck and McCarver. That was later on. It was um, Vince Scully. And it's almost like that's the standard. I don't think that ever that's that's the Mariana Rivera of broadcasting. <laughs> that's the Babe Ruth or whatever you want to say, the best player all time of, of broadcasting. That's that's who it'll be. And I think for the day I die, that's who it'll be. And I, I got to think there's more to that interaction there had to be a surreal nature like I had with Ernie Harwell many years ago to you talking to Scully like you just talked about
3: yeah there there was because when you're talking to Scully he has this just steel trap memory Um, he's talking to me about I believe her name was Hilda Chester back in the B-Ebbets Field days and he's talking about her as if he had just ran into her on the street the day before we're talking 2014 was my interview with Ben Scully and that, you know, they hadn't, they hadn't played in Ebbets field since 58. Sure. <laughs> so we're talking almost, we're talking 56 years. And so, and he's talking about just like it's yesterday. And, and he's also talking about the polo grounds growing up and being in the polo grounds. You know, we're talking about a guy who is called, I think it was 23 no hitters. In his career, you know, however many world championships and then however many world series. I mean, like, I mean, they even just had the plot hole of all plot holes, having a Tigers Yankees game on for the love of the game. Yep. All by having him. Yeah. Like
2: Like it was. Well, they, they did that as if he was doing the national Saturday afternoon broadcast. And I'll tell you that movie. I've always said that movie's a perfect movie because it gives you the great date movie. You can bring your significant other who doesn't care about baseball that gets the love story. And as a baseball fan, I remember watching that. I went to the movie theater to watch that. You you have a real dramatic baseball story. Is Kevin Costner, Billy Chapel gonna get the perfect game? Yeah. And who better to do it than Scully? Not Joe Buck and McCarver. And I loved Tim McCarver. God rest his soul, just passed recently. Uh, I didn't hate Joe Buck. There's memories of Joe Buck and McCarver doing national broadcasts. I mean, when you think of Yankees Red Sox at its height, oh four, oh three, uh, you think of those two guys announcing David Ortiz big hits,
1: yeah.
2: or you know the Aaron Boone walk off. Mm-hmm. So there's a certain era, depending, and that's the interesting part because the national broadcast, depending on who your team is, you have memories of broadcasters based on eras. For me, Vince Scully is more '80s. Whereas Buck and McCarver is connected to the '04 Yankees, Red Sox, '03 Yankees, Red Sox. You just you just connect them to eras and things like that.
3: Well, and for this new edition, like we're talking about these baseball games, you know, how the, you're talking about it's meant to be the baseball game of the week. Well, Bob Costas is now in this edition, and and Bob was calling the game of the week uh, back in '84, and it was the Ryan Sandberg game, and that is a game mm-hmm. that has just stood the test of time, even you know. Almost 40 years later, because he said that not not less than three documentaries have made have been made, you know, local Chicago or wherever it be on that actual game. That's a game of the week. That's not even a playoff game. You know, the the Cubs went on to go to the playoffs that year and everything like that. But, uh, you know, and and I think that was the year that Steve Garvey uh, went, and the Padres knocked him out, went to the World Series to basically get blown away by the Tigers. But right regardless you know that is one thing about broadcasting though is on any given day you can have a national broadcast like that on a nbc game of the week and it can be something that's just is just immediately legendary sure you know, that game was a back and forth i think i think uh,
2: uh they beat bruce Sutter, if i remember correctly Sutter,
3: and know. also uh the, the the cardinal hitter had hit for the cycle that day And in a losing effort, you know, like how often do we see somebody hit for the cycle in a losing effort? Sure. Uh, And so, uh, you, you take just moments like that and you just throw them into a basket. And I think that's what the book is, is just that like, you know, you're trying to talk to somebody and they love their team and they only want to hear about their team. That's great. But you gotta, you gotta open up your heart to baseball. It's kind of like at the end of, uh, it's kind of like at the end of, um, Moneyball and he says how could you not be romantic about baseball when they're talking about the the player you know he's showing them the tape of the player who tripped rounding first base and it was all like mortified but it was you know and he's like scrambling get back to the base and turns out he hit a home run you know and and just the team is just egging him on and laughing and all that and he's just like how can you not be romantic about baseball I agree how can you not be romantic about baseball thank you Aaron um <laughs> oh, I can't think of Aaron's last name now. Uh Sorkin. Thank Aaron you. Sorkin. Sorkin. Yeah, so I appreciate it.
2: <laughs> um a couple things before we wrap up, was there a broadcaster <laughs> that you learned about that um, you know, maybe surprised you a little bit? Cuz you know, obviously you know Vince Scully, you know John Sterling, you know these big names, but is there a broadcaster that you interacted with that has, you know, surprised you like, wow, that guy's a lot better than I thought or something different maybe that you learned?
1: Well, okay,
3: so Brian Anderson, who broadcast TV for the Milwaukee Brewers, uh, he is somebody that, that I called the newbie in the original edition of the book because we're talking Vince Scully was in his 62nd or 63rd, 60, he was in his 65th season. So it was two years before he retired. So, and you got, you know, other guys like John Miller and all these guys that have 40, 50 years experience. And then, you know, Brian was kind of like newer to, he was kind of the junior member of the firm as John Sterling would say. And I mean, goodness, that guy is lights out. They got, they bring that guy across all sports to be there. And uh, if you tune into the NCAA NBA playoffs uh, and baseball, you're going to find Brian Anderson on those national televised uh, TBS, basically, you know, Ernie Johnson, who I talked to for my Del Murphy book, just has nothing but praise for Brian Anderson. So, you know, he may have been the newbie, but in these last eight or nine years, he has grown to be basically the guy to go to, especially for TBS. They, they you know, Ron is on TBS. Obviously we, you know, we already mentioned Ron being on there. Brian's on there with him. You know, these guys, I mean, who can ask for more than this? You know, these guys are the guys that that you want in there. They're not, they're no, they're no nonsense, but they're also able to encapsulate everything that you want out of a broadcast, but also not bore you to death and, and really just kind of let you know the things you need to know. So I would have to say Brian Anderson's the answer to that question.
2: Interesting. So um, obviously people could go to Amazon and get the book or the local bookstore, I'm assuming, but you have an interesting promotion at uh, Roman and Littlefield. That's your publisher or roman.com. Uh, let everybody know. Well, two things. Let everybody know about the book, where they could get it. And as I'm talking to you, two things I have to ask, because we're on camera. The, the audience can't see that. And you gave me you kind of sparked this before we went on air. You got a Blue Jays hat. So I'm assuming you might be a Blue Jays fan. Now, I have a St. John's hat. I went to St. John's. I tried not to wear a Mets hat while I'm doing these things because that's a Homer thing. I'm not a Homer. This is a Mets talking Mets podcast. where We're independently trying to talk about the Mets, even though I have the passion of a fan. Uh, behind you, you have what I think is the old school magnetic standings board of all the smorgasbord. I can't see. They don't look like baseball magnets. Maybe they are. So tell us a little bit about where to get the book. And you have a pretty cool promotion at your publisher, which I think people should take advantage of. And, you know, are you a Blue Jays fan? Is Joe Cotter? Is there a Joe Cotter poster somewhere? And your magnets and all that stuff.
3: Okay, so Roman, that's Roman with a W. And then use the coupon code R-L-F-A-N-D-F-30 and you'll get 30% off the book. Now, Blue Jays, Whit Merrifield is now a Blue Jay. Whit Merrifield is my favorite player. I followed him a lot in Kansas City. Uh, always have him on my fantasy team. He's fantasy gold. He had a struggling year last year, which I was surprised that they even traded him. Yep. Um, but the way that the game has changed, Whit, This is Witt's game now. And you'll see his numbers have gone up and, and the Blue Jays are going to be happy they have him. They're probably going to be moving him up a couple spots in that lineup, but still, Whit Merrifield is why I wear this Toronto Blue Jays hat. And then I have 135 magnets for college football. Now, whether or not I ever do a Voices of College Football book, that's a question for another day. But having it out there and having it here around me and just kind of being surrounded by it, It just always kind of has this lingering sense of it could happen one day. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. But just keep it on at the very least the back burner. So this is my back burner.
2: (laughs) There you go. Well, listen, this has been great. Two of my favorite topics: ballparks and broadcasters gives us gold. You know, this is what doing baseball podcasting and baseball talk during the season. You can't do like football and and it's like you know breakdown, breakdown, breakdown. Week one, week two, week fifteen. It's okay. Mets are in Oakland. It's April. Nothing to get you know, there's no controversy to 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 drive the show. Let's talk about something that's topical that you could listen to in August this this segment, even though it's done in April and you did a great job. So thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for joining us. Let's catch up again, maybe during Hall of Fame time. We'll see. You know, maybe you'll eventually get Dale Murphy in a hall of fame, you know? It, so. may,
3: it may be.
1: You know, oh I forgot so. I, I
3: didn't even mention Amazon.
2: You can get this book anywhere online books are sold.
3: So I guess I should definitely I'd be remiss if I didn't include Amazon in that too.
2: Yep. Yeah, there you go. Well, Kurt, <laughs> have a great Sunday. Thank you so much for joining us. I know you're up against the uh, the time here. Let's uh let's do this again. Keep in touch and appreciate you thinking of us. All righty?
3: Thank you. Thanks Take for having care, me.
2: Kurt. And that's Kurt McKnight. You can check him out on uh Twitter at the voices of MLB at the voices of MLB on Twitter and the book go to Roman and Littlefield com. You get a great promotion, as he said, and obviously get the book on Amazon. Uh, We're going to take a quick break, wrap up. Uh, I'll get into a little commentary about what we just talked about. As I said in the open, you don't want to get into the new rules and how it has impacted the experience of watching and listening to baseball in the ballpark at home and, and maybe a little bit about that. You're listening to the talk about the podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. And enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. Appreciate Kurt McKnight coming on and talking about some of his experiences catching up with. It's a great book. uh, The Voices of Baseball. I mean, just go through the uh, introduction and look at each chapter and, and see who he had a chance to sit down and talk with. Forget Vin Scully, but... You know, up and down every team. You know, just broadcasters that you love to get some insight in. And I mean this when I say it. The one thing the Mets have always done well on the media side is with their broadcast team, dating back to 1962. And I heard a little bit of Keith Rad and Pat McCarthy about an inning and a half, maybe an inning or so. And they're not bad. And if you're going to have a backup to Howie Rose, not a bad. You know, McCarthy with great, great bloodlines there. You know Keith Rad been on this show. You know typical story that you'd love to see a guy who was the Cyclones announcer and, and gets the call up, he gets called up to the big leagues. I mean, just like the players. So the next generation, which I am concerned about, as you get a lot of these corporations, you hope with a Steve Cohen as the owner, if he has the impact on the broadcast teams. Now, he doesn't own SNY. Um, and he doesn't own the radio station, but maybe his influence at some point can make sure that this tradition continues when the Cohens, the Hernandezes, the Darlings retire. I mean, they're not going to go on forever. Howie's not going to do this forever. I mean, we grew up, I mean, Howie Rose, you know, you're going back to 1986, 87 when the fan came into play. He's been part of the Mets' fabric for a long time. I mean, even I know people didn't really care for Seaver and Fran Healy when they were in the booth, but... Uh, but they weren't bad. Steve Sabritsky, not bad. Some of the the B talent around. Think about Colin Seaver it's a broadcaster, B talent. He was. I wasn't a big Seaver fan. I mean, this booth blows the Seaver booth away. What was it? Seaver and and Howie on uh, what was SNY back then? Fran Healy and Seaver. You know, not bad. I mean, I've had Fran Healy on on this on not this program, but another version of the program. Sweet man, great guy. But the Mets have really been lucky, and I hope that that continues. But I fear because what people think sells now, you know, not necessarily the um, charm or the connection that we've experienced as baseball fans. Baseball is not about shtick a lot of times. There's shtick in there, but it's the shtick is woven in, in my opinion, with the connection. I think shtick over connection is bad. Shtick in the context. Like what we talked about with Harry Carey and Keith Hernandez, but it's in the context of the connection with the fans, and I really believe that. And then his ballparks—look, Shea was for a, a multi-purpose stadium. You heard what Kurt was talking about with the Pittsburghs and the St. Louis's and the Cincinnati's ballparks. That he's right—you know, if you 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 would thrown down in them from outer space, you wouldn't know who they, which ballpark you were in. Maybe there was slight differences from Bush Stadium to Pittsburgh, but very very minor. Cincinnati, very minor. And, you know, the lack of charm there and Shea, which was built as a multipurpose stadium in the 60s, had, you know, maybe for the wrong reasons, but had a certain amount of charm and, you know, became when the Mets were were good and had good seasons throughout its history became a real home field advantage. I mean, I was talking to someone the other day, a fan, we were reminiscing about the 2000 postseason and how when Al- Al- Alfonso tied a game in the eighth inning off of Rob Nen, and against the Giants, so the place was shaking. When Piazza hit the grand slam in the 10-run inning, the place was shaking. If you were in the upper deck, it was vibrating. And so many of the great memories. And it's true. In City Field, a beautiful ballpark in a bad neighborhood that's, you know, uh, I've talked about it a thousand times, and I, I know that this is on the table to try to fix, but you dumped it in the worst possible place where there's nothing outside of the ballpark. And now the real concern with the new rules, and, and this is where I'm going, you can't have it both ways. You can't ask for a tighter game, a tight two and a half hours, two hours, 40 minutes for a normal game, and then get mad when it interferes with your snacks and beer and food and ability to go to the bathroom. Ultimately, you go to the ballpark to watch a baseball game. And all this other stuff built around it, I think, was built because of our society's lack of attention. But it was also to to bring in the casual fan, because you can't fill a stadium every day, 45,000 people with hardcore baseball fans. You can't. I think financially you can't, unless you want to give away $1 seats, and even then people have things to do. So you are going to sacrifice some of the the around-the-stadium things because now you have a half hour, 40 minutes less to be at the ballpark. Now, if you want to come early and partake in that stuff, you can. You could come for batting practice. You could do all the things that as a kid growing up, I would like to do because back then the games were in three and a half hours. Because then three and a half hours with another hour, you be at the ballpark five hours, is a big commitment. It's almost a job. I mean, today it was a three hour ball game and it went to extra innings. I mean, that's what you're looking for. The one thing you don't want to lose is the charm and the conversation and some of the things that. The NBA, the NHL, because the action, the constant action. When you watch an NBA or an NHL playoff game, like I was watching the Nick game on Saturday night, when there's action on, you're really not fully listening to what the announcers are talking about. There's no stories. You can't tell us. You can try to tell a story, and I know they have the sideline reporter pop in, but honestly, it's so much of a distraction you're not even paying attention. You can't go on a tangent like Keith will do about his trip from Sag Harbor or, you know, I don't, I'm not saying they did this today, but talk about, you know, the 73 celebration of the A's was was part of this weekend because the Mets were in town. Share a story about 1973. You can't do that during an NBA game unless it's garbage time. So you don't want to lose that. And truthfully, as I continue to see the new rules be implemented, I think it's basically legislated behavior that brought the game back, brought the game back to more scoring, maybe 90s type scoring without the steroids, brought the game back with a little bit of uh, speed and defense and contact where bad teams maybe are a little bit more competitive. I mean, look up and down the National League. Uh, I mean, take Oakland. They're in the American League. There's nobody that's total trash so far. Even the Pirates are playing pretty good baseball, and they were very non-competitive la- uh, last year. So... You know and and even the pitch clock, which is the genesis of a lot of the the speed of the game, has really fallen into the background. Yeah, you 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 lost a strikeout that would have ended the game with Robertson, but that's been the exception, not the rule. It got you ripped the band-aid off on that one. Eventually, you knew something was going to happen where you got an out or you lost the game, you didn't lose the game or something that would have impacted the final pitch or the final out of the game. it happened. And fortunately for the Mets, it was basically I had to strike out the guy twice. So, I haven't seen that from the broadcasting perspective. And I will be honest: on Friday after the seventh inning, when it was thirteen to five, I had to catch. A, I checked out of that game. It was annoying me. Even with the Mets ahead, it was just so hard to watch. Especially when Nagosik got hurt, and then you had, and I said, "You know, I'm not going to sit here for another ten minutes waiting them for warm up a pitcher." I just can't. And I had, it's Friday night. I had better things to do, to be honest with you. I know it was late. I had better things to do. I wanted to get on, you know, I wanted to, you know, whatever. So, I think the new rules are not impacting anything negatively from the viewership at home experience. I think the only complaint you could have is at the ballpark and quite honestly, that's a trade-off. Now, is that going to hurt these teams at the concession stand? Well, you're already seeing them extend the alcohol consumption into the, you know, eighth and ninth inning. Now, Personally, I hear the argument on that, where you know you don't want people driving drunk, and I am very anti buzz driving, drunk driving. Like that's a big no no. Like, you're, you're 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 endangering yourself, but you're endangering innocent people in a way that's beyond selfish and irresponsible. But you could still sell. And I don't think they should. I think they should not do that ballpark. I so think I think that's a bad optic. However. You should also be responsible and realize that don't drink too much. Don't drink so that you know you go out, you know you got to drive. Don't drink where you're buzzed. I mean, that's just like going to a bar or a restaurant for that matter. You have three beers at, at dinner, same thing could happen. And you got food in your stomach, but whatever. So, um, yeah, that could impact them. But, you know, look, the, the viewership of the game, I believe, is where the money is. Even though the, the cable bubble and – the the you know the regional sport networks the RSN bubbles bursting right in front of us ultimately the majority of people can't go spend the majority of their time at the ballpark they're going to be spending it on TV and if it's not impacting the relationship with the broadcasting booth a good broadcasting booth it's not impacting uh, your ability to find time to invest to watch a game and actually watch a game not peek in and out of it uh, it's been a positive. And at this point, do you really pay attention to the pitch clock? Like the first couple of weeks of spring training, I was waiting for the clock. remember the first time I watched it, I was like, I was spending more time watching the clock. Now it's like the the players have just figured it out. And that's because they're big leaguers. They're the best of the best. So to me, that's really the takeaway. You know, I like to talk to Kurt about ballparks and broadcasting and get some of his stories and whatnot. But really to bring it into the current situation to make it topical it was really about are we losing a big part of what makes baseball as a sports special that the nfl can't give us the nba can't give us the nhl can't give us only professional soccer could give it to you either which is the breezy conversational night in and night out relationship with the booth radio or tv whatever your desire is some people like sit out in their yard listening to howie and keith rad on the radio more power to you. With all the TV that we've had, it's hard for me to get into radio unless I'm in a car. That's when I listen to the radio. When I was a kid, it was different. I didn't have cable, so I had to listen to the radio uh, probably about 65 Met Games a year where I didn't have access to at that time. I think it was like two-thirds TV, a third cable, maybe a little less on TV, uh, free TV. At that point, it was Channel 9, I guess. So that's my takeaway as I wrap up here on the Talking Mets podcast. Uh, great show. Uh, interesting to see how things are going to transpire the rest of the road trip. Now, next Sunday is a nationally televised night game in San Francisco. That'll wrap up the 10-game road trip. Uh, Mets off to a 3-0 start now. They could really, you know, to get a 6-4 and four trip, you don't have to go out and run the table in a tough place in L.A. And, you know, obviously San Francisco, I know they're under five hundred. tough place to play. But... Um, you know, we won't have a show next Sunday night, but we'll have it on Monday. Whether it's Monday morning early or sometime Monday evening, that remains to be seen. We'll see what what comes of that. Um, but you know, I'll just keep following me on Twitter, Instagram, whatever you know you desire, and you'll get the updates that you need. MikeSilvettTalkaboutsPodcast dot com no g is always a place you could always email me directly, whatever. But Twitter's used the place I hang out the most. So anyway. I want to thank Kurt McKnight for coming on. I want to thank you guys for tuning in here on this Sunday night. You can check me out all the time at the thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and the this Apple Podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at No G, Mike Silva at And of course, I want to thank the good folks at the Fan Sided Podcasting Network for sponsoring the show. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back another Talking Mets podcast next week Till then take care everybody the
1: the head